Welcome to First Turn, where we play board games for the first time and discuss our immediate reactions. It's like book club, but for board games. I'm Kiwi, and with me is Paxton and BP. Hello. Hi. Today we're playing Moonrakers by Max Anderson, Zach Dixon, and Austin Harrison. The artist was Lunar Saloon, uh, and it was published in 2020 by... Um, it's either Four Studio or IV Studio. Could be Roman numeral. I'm not sure. Moonrakers is a game of shipbuilding, temporary alliances, and shrewd negotiations set in a spacefaring future. The players form a loose band of mercenaries, but while they are united in name, actual alliances are shaky as players are pitted against each other in a quest to become the new leader of the Moonrakers. And the mechanics are action points, deck bag pool building, dice rolling, hand management, negotiation, trading and the box art paxton it's got a bunch of spaceships on it and there's planets in the background and like some meteors and some stars it's like a dark cover though too so the spacecraft are in bright colors but still pretty dark and the ships all look like they're flying in formation like there's some kind of loose team maybe Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm but the colors really pop, I think, because of that very dark, it's like a dark purple, mm-hmm. a derple, if you will. Oh, wow. Yeah. You made up a word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So with the description and the box art, would you pick it up off a shelf, Paxton? I mean, maybe. Spaceships are pretty cool. I like spaceships. Okay. BP? I think just based on the box art, I probably would not. I mean, the idea that it says on it, though, a game of shipbuilding, temporary alliances and shrewd negotiations sounds interesting. But I I don't know if I'd be interested enough to pick it up as longtime listeners of the podcast will know. I'm not very much into the whole space theme games. Yeah, I kickstarted this one a while ago because it was a deck builder and it seemed interesting and it just has sat on the shelf of opportunity for a number of years. So, uh, yeah, I guess the answer is yes, because I've kickstarted it. Uh, I liked the idea of the negotiation piece and the deck building. And yeah, so that's why I would pick it up. Uh, so how do you guys think it's played? What were the mechanics again, please? The mechanics are... Action points, deck bag pool building, dice rolling, hand management, negotiation, and trading. Thinking. We're thinking. Mm-hmm. I well, I would cut that silence out anyway, so. I think you have to, like, buy parts to make your ship better, and then you can, mm-hmm. like, get crew or something, or you're trying to complete missions from the look of the card. And, like, make your ship have better stats or whatever. Well, and the deck says action deck, so I'm assuming we're our action-y action stuff. Actioning action stuff. Okay, okay, okay. We're going to fight each other. Hmm. To see who's the leader of the Moonrakers? Sure. Okay. Uh, Pax, anything else you want to add? No. Yeah, we really don't have much of an idea. There's a bunch of cards in the middle. 
I'm assuming kind of like as Paxton had said, we're probably bidding or bidding was not a mechanic, but um, negotiating for some of those, I suppose we're trading. But not trading in the Mediterranean. No. Okay. Out in space. Uh, so history of loose alliances in space. So what do you think of when you think of Moonraker? I think of the Roger Moore, James Bond movie. Yes, of course. So James Bond is, if you're unfamiliar, a series that focuses on the fictional British Secret Service agent uh, by the name James Bond, codenamed 007. Uh, was written, uh, Ian Fleming first created the character in 1953. Um, and, uh, the first movie came out in 62, uh, and with Sean Connery, Mm -hmm. Dr. No. Um, apparently Ian Fleming was not very, uh, into Sean Connery being, the starring actor for his character. He did not think Sean Connery had the suave that he wanted his character to have. Oh, I thought it was going to be slightly more racist because he was Scottish and not. No. Okay. Um, but got over it and started to actually write part of his character into the character. You want to know why? Because Sean Connery is the best Bond. I will have to disagree with that. Anyway. Um, other authors have picked up on Fleming's work, uh, since Fleming's death in 64. Um, so, you know, that they're still continuing the idea of James Bond character. Um, uh, sorry, the seek. So, uh, Bond is known by his code name again, 007. Uh, he had served apparently prior to joining MI6 in the Royal Navy Reserve. Um, and, uh, or Fleming had, uh, served in the Royal Naval Reserve. Um, and, uh, he was in the Naval Intelligence Division during World War II. Um, and uh, kind of, again, kind of put Bond together in that sort of sense of some of the secret agents that did work during World War II and the commando types that he met during the war. Um, so, like, as an historian, when I think of James Bond, and in fact, when I start to introduce the beginning of the Cold War and some of that Cold War culture, I revolve it around James Bond and even James Bond's character, which has changed over the years to meet kind of more of our expectations of how people should operate, right? Uh, he was quite a bit of a womanizer in some of the early films. Um, and that has, uh, the treatment of women at least has, uh, kind of toned down. Sean Connery was not very kind to women in those early films. None of them really were up until Daniel Craig and he got slightly better, but even then. Yeah. But even the Pierce Brosnan ones were pretty. Mm hmm. Yeah. But uh, one of the things I when I use James Bond to instruct is that's kind of like the mentality of gender roles were in the 1950s and early 60s. Uh, There are only two James Bond title songs that did not make the top 100. And those two songs were Moonraker and The Man with the Golden Gun. 
Which, by the way, who was James Bond in those two movies? Roger Moore. In both movies. Further evidence that Roger that he is not the best Bond. It is Sean Connery. Or that they just didn't put a good song together with his movies. Nope, nope, nope. And Skyfall was pretty good. Yeah, it made it on the top 100. Yeah. Uh, Casino Royale was actually the name of the first book that Ian Fleming wrote. Yes. But that movie didn't actually come out until Daniel Craig. Well, there was a made for TV version. Yes. But their first like Hollywood big box office one. Well, Eon Productions, which has done most of the Bond movies, didn't gain rights to Casino Royale during Fleming's life. Mm. Which so probably why it was why. made for a TV. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there's a whole production history I didn't get into with it as well. It's, I mean, Bond is quite fascinating. Yeah, Q was Q in all of them, including the non-Eon ones that were made with George Lazenby, I think, was the Bond oh, in those. Yeah. They were like sort of officially unofficial-ish. He's still considered Bond, but they weren't really. Uh, so Q was even Q in those. But then he passed away. And so John Cleese, that's why they brought John Cleese in in later Pierce Brosnan ones mm -hmm. so that he could continue once uh, the guy who played Q, whose name I can't remember now, uh, passed away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and they've modernized M also. Yes. Uh, yeah, because M was a guy in the early ones. Right. And none of this has anything to do with uh, building our alliances or negotiations. By the way, Moonraker, due to budgetary constraints, was filmed mostly in France. Oh. Interesting. Uh, you guys want to know how to play? Yeah. Great. Uh, okay, so we are all mercenaries and we're trying to create a shaky alliance to complete missions, but we are allies vying to the new to be the new leader of our group, uh, which is called the Moonrakers. The first player to reach 10 prestige is that new leader and wins the game. Players take turns being the mission leader. The first mission leader is determined by a roll of the four hazard dice, and whoever rolls the least number of hazards, which are triangle, red triangles with exclamation points, whoever rolls the least number is the first mission leader. So each round, the mission leader will play through three phases. So the planning phase. So in this phase, the mission leader has two choices. They can either choose one of the eight contracts that's out on the board, in which case uh, they can gather potential allies, but they're trying to meet the mission objectives, which is at the bottom of the card. So the mission leader can try and do it uh, on their own or they can bring in allies. How do they bring in allies, you might ask? Well, there are potential rewards on the top right of the card. That's what you get if you pass the mission. So the white diamond is the amount of prestige you get. Uh, the number below it in the circle that has like a, it actually looks like the London Metro symbol with the circle with the line through it. Those are credits. And then some of them also have a circle with a, a little block underneath it. And that, and that is a additional uh, bonus card. So you can say, hey, I'm gonna do this mission. Uh, and if you take the hazard dice, I'll give you three of the prestige. And so you can barter with whatever's on the card. The only thing you can't barter with is things that you already own. So I can't say, hey, Paxton, if you help me on this mission, I'll give you this ship part. Can't do that. Okay, if a mission leader chooses a mission and nobody agrees, they can choose a different mission. If nobody agrees on that, they have to choose a third mission and they have to do that one alone. 
Uh, and then the mission leader can also pay one credit to remove a card and replace it before they choose. Then their other option during the planning phase is to stay at base. So if they stay at the base, the mission leader decides to stay and protect the base. They then do the following in order. They're going to draw two new objective cards, which are the green backs, uh, keeping one and putting the other one on the bottom of the deck. They're going to collect one credit. They're going to skip the execution phase, which we'll go into in a minute. Uh, if desired, they can replace a, an available contract with one from the top of the deck. And then they're going to discard their whole hand and draw five more new cards. So if uh, they decide to go to a mission, either alone or they pretend create a bunch of allies to do the mission, they go into the execution step. So first, any hazard dice associated with a contract are rolled by the player that negotiated for them. So if you look in the bottom right of the card, uh, some of those contracts uh, have a little uh, uh, filled in hazard icon with a bar. So one bar means you would roll one hazard dice. Two bar would mean you roll two hazard dice. For each hazard that you roll, so some sides are blank, some sides have one, and some sides have two, you have to be able to play a shield card, which is one of your action cards from your hand. They look like a little green shield to block a hazard. For each hazard that you can't block, you're going to lose a prestige. Okay, uh, and you have to be able to play that by the end of the execution phase. So you don't have to play it immediately, just by the end. Uh, and then allies cannot play shields for somebody else. So if Paxton rolls all the hazard dice, I can't play my shields to protect Paxton. Only Paxton can play shields to protect himself from those hazards. Okay, next, players that have allied will play cards to meet the requirements of the contract. The mission leader can decide to play simultaneously or sequentially. So if you look at some of the missions, so say for instance, this mission, decoy, tar decoy target, we need to play four lasers from our hand, or thrusters is what the yellow is, and then we need to play four shields. And if we can play at least four shields and four thrusters, then we complete that mission. And that's collectively between whoever uh, does the allyship. Okay. Uh, the catch is each player only gets one action. How do you get more actions to play more cards? Yes. Well, you have reactor cards. They give you plus two actions. So you would play an a reactor card. That's your one action. But then that one gives you two more actions. So that's how you can play additional cards. When you play thrusters, it's going to give you two cards to draw from your deck. Okay. If the contract is successful, players honor the negotiated terms. They earn prestige by increasing the on the tracker. They earn credits that come from the vault or bonus cards that are drawn from the top deck of the crew, which is the yellow deck here, or ship parts, which are purple. Okay. If the contract failed, players do not receive any awards, but still take the negative effects of unblocked prestige. Uh, the mission leader and allies on the contract then discard their remaining hand and draw back up to five cards. So that's the execution phase. Next, we go into the buying phase. So the mission leader can either use their credits to buy ship parts or hire crew members. So ship parts are going to go directly to your ship. You can only have four. So if you already have four and you buy a fifth one, you have to discard a part that's already on your 
ship and parts are going to give you different bonuses, either increasing your hand limit or give you additional actions or count as like a permanent shield all the time. Uh, crew members are going to go into your action deck and you're going to play them just as if they were an action, but they'll give you different benefits as well. Okay. Uh, and the mission leader can spend a credit to replace one crew or one ship part card with the top card of the matching deck. The next mission leader can start their planning phase, so then the mission leader would go to the next player clockwise. They can start their planning phase while the previous one is finishing up their buying phase. The game ends when a player reaches 10 prestige at the end of any player's turn. If there's a tie, the player with the highest net worth is the winner. Uh, and the highest net worth is based on the value of the crew you've hired, your ship parts, uh, and the uh, money that you have uh, in your personal account. Add that up. Whoever has the most is then the winner. And if it's still tied, then they share the victory. Your co-leaders, I guess. And those are all the rules. Let's negotiate. We just finished a game of Moonraker's. To recap, uh, Kiwi uh, sat at nine prestige for about four rounds <laughs> and wasn't able to get any prestige. Uh, Paxton and BP both went on a rescue mission together. Both gained enough prestige to end the game, and based on the tiebreaker, uh, BP was worth more, having a net worth of 37 coins, and Paxton had a net worth of 34 coins. So BP winning strategy. Reactors. I had a reacting strategy. Okay. Um, and trying to complete missions. So you could gain the prestige or coins and trying to make the negotiations uh, come out into your favor. Hmm. Paxton, did you have a strategy? Um, I mostly just try to like get points for myself and get um, the like objectives done. But there's this one card that I had that really helped that let me um, take the ability from one of the people in the armory that hasn't been taken yet. And that helped me a lot, like screwing you over <laughs> with that one so you didn't get your coins. Yeah. Yeah, I think trying to screw you over was that was a pretty strategy. pretty significant strategy. Yeah, yeah. that really helps uh, us. And I tried to do objectives is what I was trying to go for because mm -hmm. they seemed like I could do those more because I knew at some point we would all stop doing missions together because we would be so close that no one would want to help out. Um so I think, you know, Paxton kind of risking it there at the end to just double up on, you know, hoping it would come down to net worth and thinking he was worth more. Yeah, I thought I thought the net worth was it was only your coins that you had. And I knew I would have more coins, but I didn't realize it was also um, of your like ship parts and your crew members, yeah. which made me wish I bought more <laughs> beforehand. Uh, so theme. Did you all feel like you were mercenary spaceship captains in a part of a shaky alliance trying to be the leader of trying trying to be the leader of our mercenary group? I do. Um, I'll, I'll take that one. I, I feel like because you were doing the negotiation part, uh, it did feel like you were part of a mercenary group. Paxton, did you feel like you were part of a mercenary group? I feel like this game could fit into like any theme where you might be in a group like 
it has the like art style and the weapons of like a space. spaceship theme, but like the negotiation bit and all the like contracts, you could put that into like a pirate theme or a merchant guild. Yeah, merchant guild. You could put this into a lot of themes, but I think the art really helps it be like spacey and mercenary themed. Yeah. I- I hadn't thought about that until you said something. And the very first thought in my head is, oh, yeah, this could be pirates. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's the art that brings it in, which I think generally like when Eric sees that, he says that the game is not thematic. Hmm. Um, I don't know. But I, I think like the, like whether it's pirates or whether it's mercenary spaceship people, I think the idea of a loose alliance yeah. where we're all trying to vie to be the best, but we're all kind of working together. Um I think that's there regardless of whether it's space or pirates. So I think thematically, like it still gives that idea of, you know, we're sort of working together, but we all have our own agenda. Uh, Table presence, BP. It's a lot. And it was a lot to take in at the beginning. Um, You know, I don't know if it would turn my head necessarily just because it kind of reminds me of like a, a euro game layout. Um, but, and, and the cards, there's a lot on each and every card that you really have to pay attention to and keep track of. So there is a presence there. It's a big presence. I just don't know if it's an attractive presence. Paxson? I mean, I think just like the amount of different colors in each spot and like on each card would turn my head. But... I think that in and of itself would turn my head. Maybe not like the art because it's really small and detailed, but like once you get closer, it's very cool looking. Yeah, I'm not sure it would turn my head that much. It's just a board with a lot of cards and there's lots of games that are boards with lots of cards. I think I would see it and just be like, oh, that looks like a lot. I'm not going to stop and try and figure out what's going on. So I'm not sure I would. Uh, Mechanics. Um... So I don't think there was anything crazy. I think the only thing like, you know, buying crew or, you know, hiring the crew to add to your deck, like that's pretty, you know, standard for a deck builder. Uh, The ship parts adding different pieces like that was kind of interesting. Um, The action point mechanic, um, you know, that's not necessarily standard for a deck builder, but the fact that you needed to play some cards to get more actions like you really had an action economy that you had to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not sure there was anything in the game itself that like jumped out as like, oh, my goodness, that's a, right. an amazing mechanic. What about putting them all together? Was it? I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 Baxton. I mean, I really liked the um, like the negotiation. Bit. I thought that was really fun. Like, mm-hmm seeing how low you could get it for the other person to where you still got more, but they'd still be willing to take the deal. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was fun. And like, um, all the like little, um, ship bits doing like different things for you or allies that you get is pretty cool too. Yeah. I think though, with some of that, it has a lot to keep track of. And especially with the negotiation pieces at the beginning was kind of hard to keep track. Like I'm giving you a prestige, you coin, do this, um, to add one more bit to it. I think having like a whiteboard (laughs) 
would uh, help facilitate that or like a notepad. But that's just adding more to the game to track the the complexity of it. I think we got better at the end, at like turns as we got playing more because yes, like we all realized like okay, we now need to keep track of what what we're supposed to be getting. So uh, rules, how was it learning the game for y'all? It definitely took a little bit of time, like you just said. Like towards the end of it, we started to get a little bit better, but at the beginning, I think it was a, a lot. It's definitely not a beginner's game. And I think even for, you know, I'd say we're mediocre gamers. Um, But uh, it definitely took a couple rounds, so it wasn't easy. Paxson? I mean, I feel like after like the first round or so, I got the hang of it. But it definitely is one of those games where you need to play it a couple of times before you really have it down. Yeah. And, I, and rulebook wise, like the rulebooks laid out fine. I think I went in maybe twice sure. uh, to get stuff and I never really had to go back in. And I felt like everything was pretty intuitive, like what was written on the cards. Like there wasn't anything that was kind of weird uh, based on that. So I never really had to go back in the rulebook. So I will say that, that the teaching it wasn't bad, but I agree. Like it's one of those games that you do have to play a couple rounds in order to get it. I think the only thing I found extremely fiddly was keeping track of actions. And it does say, so like, you know, we were doing it where, you know, you play a reactor and then you play two cards right above it to show that those were your actions that you played with that reactor. So that would certainly help you keep track of your actions. But like I had a ship card that was, you know, you play reactors for free. So like Mm -hmm. my count, you know, and yours would adjust. So like, how do you keep track if you get an extra extra action for playing your first reactor? So like, you know, by the end of it, I was holding up a hand keeping track of everybody's actions as you played them right because it seemed like the easiest way to keep track and everybody was kind of keeping along so i found that a little bit fiddly so uh player interaction paxton do you think there was a lot of interaction i mean yeah from like the bartering and also kind of just like seeing what other people had and what they might do and trying to like either stop that or take more than them so they couldn't get that yeah so i think there was a good amount yeah i agree yeah I don't have anything to add. Yeah, nothing to add. Uh, so the question is, would you play it again, Paxton? Yeah, it was fun. Okay. Uh, what did you find fun about it? Um, I mean, I really liked the, the negotiations bit. That was fun. And the theme is cool. Yeah. BP? I like the negotiations, but I'm going to be a no. I am also going to be a no. I think it lasted about an hour longer than it needed it, to. I was going to also say it was a little on the longer side. Yeah. The, uh, the time on the side says 60 to 120 minutes. So yeah. it is a long game. <laughs> so we did go to that 120 minutes, but I could have gone an hour. And I think it, I think I would have said yes, had the game only lasted an hour. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was a little irritated with you that you took the one explore mission because that could have ended the game. And I was just like, this game could have ended half an hour ago. <laughs> I was like, BP made this game last longer than it needed to. Uh, so I'm a no as well. I just, it's a deck builder, which is why I got it. And I think it might go into the trade pile because I just, right. too long. It was too long. And I can't imagine if it was even more people. I think it would go even longer. Oh, yeah. Well, and I feel like the negotiate would become much more complex too. Yeah. 
So that's uh, that's where we're at. So that was Moonrakers. So if you have any recommendations of games you would like to hear our impressions on, just send them our way. You can do so via email at firstturntabletop at gmail, or we on the, are on the formerly known as Twitter platform and Instagram at firstturncast. And the podcasting camel says uh, as he's pulling into his spaceport. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatchers. We look forward to hearing from you. Play more games. Now playing very strategically against each other. Yeah. We stopped being allies. Stopped being friends. And now we're just like, screw you. Screw you to hell. I hate you. Hold your muffins there. Oh, my muffins, eh? <laughs> you know you want us to succeed. Like, you don't get anything if we don't succeed, right? I do, actually. What? I do. I get a prestige.